Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Welcome, Jason. Bill, I really don't believe this. What? This friggin' game is wrecking my life, sir. That's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1981 wartime soccer drama Victory, starring Michael Caine, Sylvester Stallone, and Palais. Directed by John Huston, this movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 56 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and you went to your local video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. What's on the box? Take it away, Jason. Here we go. Stallone, Pelé, and Kane take a kick at the Fuhrer. The ball spins past the goalie and into the net, sending 50,000 fans into a celebration that lets you know this is no ordinary soccer match. This is war. The battlefield, a stadium in occupied Paris. The armies, German all-stars versus a ragtag team of allied POWs. The objective, demonstrate another proof of Aryan superiority. Guess who wins? Better yet, guess who cleverly uses the match as a means of escape? Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, and Max Foncito star in this thrill-packed winner, a movie to make you feel good. That's from Gene Shalit of Today and NBC TV. Directed by legendary filmmaker John Huston, Victory is the kind of rousing, stiff upper lip movie rarely made anymore. Combatants are civilized at the least, sportsmen at best. Wars have rules of conduct, and victory can be achieved on the playing field as well as the battlefront. The action culminates in the match itself, a heart-in-the-throat, hat-in-the-air exhibition of brute force and ballet-like grace featuring the incredible skills of real-life soccer legends Pelé, Bobby Moore, Osvaldo Ardiles, Co-Prince, Mike Summerby, and many more. Now's the time for heroes. Score a triumphant entertainment goal for victory. Wow. How big was that VHS box, Jason? That was what's on the box. That was what was on like a 10 by 10 box. It was like a refrigerator box you just read off of, I think. <laughs> uh, that was fun. Though. That was fun. Hey, Bill, I got a question for you, man. Right out of the gate. Go for it. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I just realized I didn't ask you that. So that that actually wasn't my question. Bill, I, I got a question for you right out of the gate. Go ahead. <laughs> are you a fan of soccer, otherwise known as football, to the rest of the universe outside of the United States? I would not say I'm a big fan. Even as a kid, I only played soccer like two years. Yeah, I'm one of those World Cup, you know, come around. That's when I kind of watch it. Um, but I realized when I've actually gone to see a soccer match, I, I have a good time. And yeah. my kids just started playing soccer a couple of years ago. And I love going and watching them play. But overall, no, I, I really wouldn't consider myself a soccer fan. I got you. It makes sense. Yeah, I was going to just uh, before we even get into it, I was going to give the audience a little bit of background on myself just to be a little self-indulgent and self-centered. Go for it. This film is a little bit near and dear to my heart because I personally grew up playing soccer. I'm a big fan of the sport because I appreciate 
the athleticism, the, the skill that is involved, the stamina. I grew up mainly playing youth league soccer in the small town of Lindenhurst, which is a very small suburb northwest of Chicago. I played for years in the, in the youth league, but then in high school. Anyway, uh, two of my biggest personal sports memories come from playing soccer in high school uh, during a sectional semifinal. I scored the winning goal and had girls coming out of the stands and kissing me on the cheek. And it was like the most elated moment. Like it was right out of the movies. And I was a hero for a moment only to subsequently have the exact opposite extreme happen to me. The very next game, I ended up missing a penalty shot at the very end of the game during a shootout. And it was awful. And I was crying and sobbing and, my uh, youth league soccer coach on the sideline come over to me and try and console me. And it was just, it was awful, but I had at least had those memories and it's all related to soccer. Um, I did go on to play a little intramural at the university of Miami just briefly, but I just have a lot of great memories, a lot of great friends that I still have uh, from playing soccer. And then just uh, gosh, not less. It was in 2018. I, went to Idaho to visit my buddy, Chris, and to reunite with him. He played uh, in the youth leagues and in high school with me. And uh, we played in an over 40 league uh, in Boise, Idaho. Played a few games. Uh, it was a little bit of a rough go for me, but I was, you know, I was not in game shape, but it was fun. So I just thought I'd uh, share that a little bit. So this particular film, uh, I remember being excited about it because soccer was at the heart of it. And I was only gosh, eight to between eight and 10 when I, probably closer to 10 when I first saw it. And I was just excited because here comes this big soccer movie with the Sylvester Stallone in it. And it was in my wheelhouse. So thought I'd just share. And speaking of which we could probably get right into the earliest memories. Yeah. I was lousy at soccer and I didn't understand it because I remember, I think the, first year I played, I was wing and I was backup goalie. And I remember being on the field all the time. My coach like, run up, run up because of the whole offsides thing. Cause I never understood that. And I'm like, why does he right, want me to right. run up? I'm going to miss the ball. Yeah. And not realizing it was, it was going to put the other team offsides. And it, I never understood. Like I, I got a breakaway offsides. What do you mean you got off? You know, I just never understood that. And I, I kind of wish I knew that now and went back and played. Maybe I'd be a little bit better. And then, <laughs> and then my goalie skills were probably about as good as Hatches. So right. <laughs> that's Sylvester Stallone's character. Yeah. So uh, after, after two years, I was like, yeah, this, this is not my sport for me. I, I was more of a basketball guy. That's what, that's what I like to play. I was tall, so I could play basketball. Yeah. I was good at that yeah. standard of the net, get there the rebound, go. put the ball back in, but soccer, not, nah, I was horrible, but yeah, my earliest memory of this, of this film is um, I eventually saw this on cable. It was on HBO. And the only reason I watched it is because my, my dad was telling me, oh, Rocky's in another movie. Yep. Because at that age, you know, all I knew is Sylvester Stallone was Rocky. Being from Philadelphia, Rocky, you know, was the shit there. So Absolutely. And the only thing I was interested in is watching the the soccer matches. But the two things I definitely remember from that movie is the goalie having to get his arm broken. That always stood out to me. Nailed it. And then even watching it the other day, and when he put his arm on the bed, I, I literally did the audible, ooh, 
you know, before even, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was still like, oh my God, no. And the other part was the halftime when they knocked the hole into the tub. I always yeah. remember that, just the whole, like, the bound, the bouncing thing and seeing the, the ripple effect or whatever. Right. Those yeah. two things stood out to me. Completely, yeah. That's what I remember from this film. And honestly, this is only the second time I've seen it since then. I've, I've seen bits and pieces, but this is the second time I've seen the movie all the way through. Sure. It's been a while. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to echo some of your sentiments here. And it has been years. I mean, it's got to have been, what, like 20 30, maybe 30 years since I've seen this film. I saw it several times as a kid. As I mentioned, I was a big soccer fan. I, I played soccer. I love the sport. And I would remiss, I'm going to return to my uh, original uh, self-indulgent Jason Massick history share. And because I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, I, I went from hero to zero in scoring the winning goal and then missing the penalty shot in the shootout. But then I must give shout out to Antioch Community High School the team I was on, fortunately, I'm very grateful, very blessed, very lucky to have been on this team in my senior year at Antioch Community High. We did win the first conference championship in that high school's history my senior year. So shout out to my teammates from the class of 1991, Antioch Community High School. Yeah. So, yeah, man. I mean, it hasn't, gosh, so watched this movie a lot as a kid. And I, for sure, obviously didn't see the movie in the theater in 1981. I'm what, eight years old. I saw it on television after and then um, VHS. Fun things I like to do with our format, Bill Bantz, and one of the exercises I'd like to do is before watching the film, I go straight to the earliest memories segment and I start jotting down notes of what do I remember? Just what do I remember from the movie without watching it, without watching the trailer, which I'll watch looking at, trying not to look at even posters or screenshots, images or any, any kind. What do I just simply going based solely off of my memory of the film from the last time I saw it 30 years ago? What do I remember? The first thing I wrote down is exactly what you said. The breaking okay. of the arm. Hate it. I hate it. I wasn't looking forward to seeing it again. When it came about in the film, it's cringeworthy. I can't stand it. And it was exactly as I remembered it. I remember how it played out, how they spread the slats in the bed, and he places his arm across the gap. And I'm like, no, no, I hate I hate this. I freaking hate it. it. It was like, it's etched. It's like, it's a, I haven't, I'm still possess this emotional scar obviously yeah i think it was actually worse for me because i didn't remember that uh michael kane's character colby did the kick stomp on it i thought they they put it in the slats and then they somehow just like twisted it and broke it that way so even when i saw him put his foot on the thing i was like oh my god no i just remember they broke the arm and that was it and this was even worse all look away oh yeah you know and then you actually hear the audio of it the bone snapping Yes, And he's whimpering and you're like, no, no, thanks. I don't ever, ever need to see that again. Just take it. Can you please cut that out of the film? Re-release this film, a new theatrical or at-home DVD release with that cut out, please. Just edit that out. I hope he got the clean break that he asked for. Yeah. So that's immediately, I, I just associate in memory. Pele, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, we are going to try and pronounce Pele properly. Correct. Yes. So 
forgive us because I have said Pele for my entire life. Same here. And so I'm going to screw that up several times during this podcast. I ask you now for your forgiveness. Thank you. But Pele. So yeah, of course, I remember Pele from this film and the famous bicycle kick. That's the the play that he made famous. And he wasn't the only one to do it, but he did it probably the best of anybody. And he made it famous. So obviously I remember the bicycle kick in the movie. Every kid that played soccer in America wanted to do the bicycle kick after this film came out. I was too scared of breaking my neck and I was terrible at doing the bicycle kick because every time I tried to do it, I did it half-assed and I didn't want to land on my head. And I was awful at it, even though I did attempt it from maybe three times. I don't recall specifically, but so I remember Pelé, uh, I remember this movie, you know, kind of it in a way when it was released, I was hoping as a kid, it would more popularize soccer in America, but I don't think it quite had that effect. I remember at that time growing up also playing soccer. I not only was playing soccer in the youth league, but I was part of a traveling soccer team. It was kind of an all-star team in my uh, small town in the neighboring towns. And uh, we had the North American soccer league, the NASL. And uh, we had the Chicago Sting. That was the name of our, our team. But the NSAL did not last. I mean, we it lasts a handful of years in, in the 80s, but not much beyond that. So don't know if what the film accomplished for soccer in America. Anyway, I also remember Stallone actually feeling a little bit out of place because he's like the quote unquote American in the film. Uh, I believe he's supposed to be Canadian. I don't know how that works, but... Michael Caine, I always remember, of course, as the mentor. I remember them playing soccer on the dirt field in the POW camp. I remember them preparing for the big match and their escape plan. And, of course, I the, the image of the crowd storming the field at the end with the overcoats. And uh, it's funny. I wrote down buses for some reason. This is really weird, Bill. Man. Okay. One of my memories from this film is that this is in spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, spoiler alert, please do not listen for the next 30 seconds. If you don't want to have the end of the movie ruined for you, but uh, the team escapes by the crowd storming the field and throwing like overcoats over the players to disguise them and, you know, uh, mesh with the crowd. So they all, then they storm the gates and they all leave the stadium with the players among them. And for some reason, I have this memory of them getting on buses and leaving. I don't know why. Oh, that never happens. That's not the end of the movie. I'm expecting it to happen. And the movie like goes to the turns to blue for some reason. And then the credits full and that doesn't happen. I don't know why I thought that's what happened, but um, wow. anyway, that's what earliest memories, of course, uh, just the ultimate thrill at the end. One of those great sports movies in that way, where it's kind of, I still get the chill when, Stallone blocks the penalty shot. And yeah, I remember also, this is what I wrote down as a kid. I wanted more action in this movie and more soccer. And as a kid, that's kind of, you know, you want action in your movies and stuff like that. You want to be entertained as a kid. And uh, I remember it felt like a little bit slow. I was like, oh, this is kind of like a dramatic war movie or is it, or what, what is this movie? But I still would watch it for uh, Pelé and, the soccer scene and the game at the end. And that's uh, that, that covers my earliest memories. 
That's true. Because as a kid, I don't know anything about World War II and why these people are prisoners and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was really just get to the soccer yeah, parts. That's what I, that's what I just see. want to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd even be interested in watching a war movie. But as a kid, not ha- grasping the the concept of war or what it means in the, in the genre and whatnot in the history and all that, I could appreciate battle sequences. But this was a little bit more dramatic and at times wasn't, again, very action-oriented outside of Stallone's escape sequence. Yeah, because I think at that point in school, you know, we're doing social studies and colonization and civil war and we don't yeah. even know about other countries and what we went through with all that. So that was very, very foreign to me. But the other big thing I got out of watching this, soccer is the biggest sport in the world. Right. Yeah. And then I was trying to run through my database of other soccer movies. And these are the titles that came to my head, Jason. Ladybugs. She's the man. (laughs) Kicking and screaming. I'm like, how is there not another major soccer film? Yeah. I was, I had to look online. I was like hard pressed. I'm like, if I just totally skip this sports genre of film. Right. And there's not really that much out there. And I can always see why every time you you see a top 10 list of soccer movies, this is in there because there is only maybe 10 soccer movies out there. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that they don't do more movies about the sport. Because one of the things, uh, even watching it the other night, when they go back out in halftime, and every time the POW team scored, I could literally feel myself smiling. Yes. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into that later. I can't wait to talk about it. I'm glad you said that. I couldn't, I, I was doing, I got so excited. I'm watching this just hours ago mm-hmm. and I had the exact same feeling. Yeah. It was a thrill. I got excited. I had this nervous excitement that built up for it. I think there's a reason for that. There's where at least those scenes got a lot of help from one Bill Conti, the composer of the film score, the soundtrack to this movie. They, those scenes got a huge boost from him and the music. But uh, yeah, every time the POW score, you're just like, I wanted to stand up and cheer. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe I was I, pumping I was... my fist. I literally was pumping my fist every time going, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get back in this game. Because I didn't remember what the outcome was. I, I mean, I, I remember how it ended, ended, but I couldn't remember right. how the game itself played out. So I, right. I was getting pumped up about it too. But here's here's a question for you because I didn't understand this watching Yeah, it. yeah. Why didn't the fourth goal of the POWs count? What did they call on that? Because I missed it, and they didn't really explain it in the movie. I missed it, too. Okay. It was disallowed, and I assumed it was an offsides. Okay. But uh, because you see the flag going, but that just – usually when a linesman does the flag at that point, you assume when it's – especially that close to the goal, like it was a goal, that you assume it was an offsides call. Also, the linesman will just – you know, shake the flag or lower the flag when there is a penalty of any kind. Okay. But then they don't really clarify what the penalty was. That's what I was hoping for. I was almost going to rewind it I thought it I back. missed it too. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally thought I missed it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, I just assumed it was offsides. Okay. All right. So it wasn't, it wasn't just me. I, I thought maybe it was like, I'm, I'm, am I missing something? Did I miss a, a signal or whatever? And I was hoping that the announcer in the film would announce why it was called off and they didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care. I was still excited to see what was going on because you knew it was like, well, they're not gonna, they're not gonna lose this game. Yeah. So. Speaking of Bill Conti, I have a question for you now. Mm-hmm. 
I mentioned Bill Conti is the composer of the uh, score, the soundtrack to this film. I have two questions. Bill, does the music save this movie? And two, is it the best thing about this movie? You know, it's so funny you, you say that because, you know, we, we do our notes for the show and we talk, you know, all the segments we're going to talk about. One of the things we right. do talk about is, is the music. And that's, you know, a big factor for us. We both collect soundtracks. We go to Hollywood Bowl to see John Williams perform every year. Yep. The music and Bill Conte did the Rocky score, which I love and I still listen to all the time. Um, it still gets me excited and pumped up. The music to this movie in a way did nothing for me whatsoever. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it was kind of weird. Cause I'm like, I don't know how to talk about it. It was, it, it I had the completely opposite reaction. That's it didn't distract from me. For me, it just felt like it was there. And I was kind of like, man, I can't believe Bill Conte did this. Cause you're just used to hearing, I guess just from Rocky, you're just really, you get pumped up in, in this kind of thing. I, I think the movie just, I guess, evenly fit with the film so i guess mm-hmm. in a way it, it did work but it didn't like for me it didn't feel like subconsciously bring it higher or bring it lower it just wow all right we are on opposite ends of the spectrum regarding that then that's cool that's all good i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying oh, I it's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just it just didn't stand out for me um i wouldn't afterwards i'm not i wasn't gonna like oh i need to get the soundtrack to victory kind of thing i was just like oh, oh, there's God, other see, stuff I, with us yeah that's okay. I was the, yeah, no, I, I was like, I need to get this soundtrack. I mm-hmm. want to get this. I want to get this soundtrack <laughs> because I love the opening March. I love the music, how it supported the, the POW with the POW, the allied forces scored their goals in the final game. The music is just triumphant. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is exciting when you're like, they're driving down the field and you're like, Oh, the, here comes the music and here are the, they're going to score now here. Let's see how this unfolds. And I'm like, yeah, I'm jumping off the couch. And, but uh, yeah, because I actually felt that it was a huge supporting character in this film because upon rewatch this film almost felt, I, I don't want to say flat because I don't think it's totally flat, but it's just kind of, uh, it's okay. It's good. It's not, but it gets a boost. It gets a real boost when the, the music kicks in for me. That, that's just, that's, it's just uh, really funny that we have diff, totally different opinions. I, Cause I thought you were going to be all for it. You're like, yeah, that, no, that music did nothing for me. I'm like, I, no, it just, I, it just I'm kind like, of reminded me of war movie music and there was nothing for me that stood out, but like I said, it, it didn't distract so maybe right. I was just so into the soccer stuff that for some reason I didn't feel it. I was just more excited about watching the match and seeing what was yeah, going You know, I don't want to hear whatever, Bill. That's fine. Right. No, it's fine. Right. That's fine. No, okay. really, it's fine. It's cool. fine. All right, let's move on. Moving on. All right, great. <laughs> All right, um, before we move on to favorite scenes, there, there's a question I want to ask. Is Major Carl von Steiner shot after what happens in the match, do you think he makes it out of the stadium alive? You mean Von Steiner? Von Steiner. Stein? Yes. Who's played by Max Von Zito. And just so you know, he's yeah. the one that sets up this match. He was the main catalyst for this. Yeah. And he also stood up when Pele scored his bicycle kick goal. So that's not a good look for him. No, I'm surprised he even survived that one. If yeah, they I'm remade, if they they remade just... that movie today, he yeah. would have been shot right then. Yeah, right then and there. They just escort him. 
But after the movie was over, I'm like, I don't even think he makes it live. He should have gotten down there on the field among the crowd. Exactly. He should have been putting a jacket on. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question that I hadn't posed uh, to myself. But yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think um, he doesn't uh, fare well once uh, the game is totally over. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. Speaking of Max Foncito, a fan, I does that guy was so is he one of those actors who's been seventy years old for the past fifty years? Is that kind of the thing? Oh, I, I know. Clearly, he's younger in this film. Don't get me wrong; he's mm-hmm. definitely younger in this film, and he's wonderful. He's excellent. He's always had a presence. He, I think he's his delivery is brilliant. I love him. I can't help it. Every time I, I see him. Speaking of all eighties movies podcasts, Flash Gordon. Oh, all yes. I, I think of every time I see the guy, Ming yes. the Merciless. I, I just think of Ming. And I know that's super cheesy of me. Not at but all. But then you can you can say, you know, The Exorcist, of course, as well, which is not an eighties movie, but um, I'm just saying he's has some iconic roles for me personally as a kid. I was a big Flash Gordon fan. So yes. All right, before we get to uh, favorite scenes, though, I, I do want to point out this movie was directed by John Huston, who... Yeah, he didn't really do very much. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He directed for five decades, and I'm, I'm just going to pick out his number one movie from each decade. Do it. From the 1940s, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, which he won an Oscar for. Yeah. The 1950s, one of my favorites, The African Queen. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, 1960s, um, which actually finally saw here at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. They were doing a screening of this. The Night of the Iguana. 1970s, The Man Who Would Be King, which also starred Michael Caine. saw that with my dad. Yeah, Sean Connery. Yes. And then uh, the 1980s, um, which he got nominated again for an Oscar, was uh, Prissy's Honor with Jack Nicholson and Kathleen Turner. It's crazy, man. And there's movies that I'm not even mentioning that should be in this list. Maltese Falcon was early on. Exactly. Obviously a fan of, you know, Bogart. What an amazing resume. Five decades, five decades worth of, of films. I mean, yeah. luckily yeah. now we're lucky so, if we can get a director's hot for a decade, maybe two, but mm-hmm. to go through five like that. And plus he acted. I mean, his portrayal in Chinatown, amazing. I just want to make sure he got major props. John Houston. Yeah. I don't think when we talk about great directors, his name doesn't seem to come up and go ahead, put those five against someone else's other five and, and see how that goes. Yeah. No kidding. Amazing work. And supposedly, you know what I read, he just, this movie was just a money grab for him. Yeah. 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 That's quite the resume. So let's, uh, let's move on to favorite scenes, Jason. What do you got for favorite scenes? Well, all right. So here's a few scenes that blew my skirt up. Well, I'll start with this one. At least play at the chalkboard. I remember this scene. I almost had for almost had forgotten about it. I don't know how I could have forgotten about it because it was my favorite as a kid. And as a kid running around with my other soccer teammates, we'd always quote this scene because I believe the scene opens with Michael Caine drawing up a play on the chalkboard, uh, instructing his team how to, you know, don't overextend yourself, don't run too much past the ball. And then Peleg stands up and walks over and he goes, no, no, no. See, and he takes the chalk and he points and he says, give me the ball here. Mm-hmm. I do this, 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 goal. Easy. <laughs> and 
brilliant. So that's my first scene that blew my skirt up because that's freaking play. That's and he literally could do that. He could do that. He could take the ball from one end of the field to the, to the other and score on his own if he wanted to. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that scene too, because what I did like about that scene was if you look at the situation of that team, they really only have 11 guys that are going to have to play this full 90 minutes. So it's really showing the strategy of like, how are we going to beat these Germans? This is the only way we're going to have to do it. Right. And then for Pele to come in and kind of do the, you know, the exact opposite of Michael Caine's is a humorous moment, but I really wish they emphasize that more in the movie because you have these 11 players and outside of Colby hatch and Pele played uh, Lewis. I don't know anything else about the other guys. And I, I kind of wanted to know who right. these are. And I didn't really know this either. They were all big name soccer players going Absolutely. in. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I was afraid that they couldn't act or something like that, but I really wanted to see more of the strategy of what they were going to do to attack the German team and how they were going to beat that. And it just does a little touch of it right there. Right. And then that, that was it. I was like, oh, man, I, I want more. Or how are they going to do this? Absolutely. You raise a really good point there, Bill, because that's my main issue with this film is I felt like almost all the aspects of this film were underdeveloped. That's kind of why I said initially that this film felt a little flat to me. I have very, you know, nostalgic attachments to this film and I still enjoyed watching it today, but I wanted more from the development between the teammates, the relationships, uh, the game itself, how it's played, how are they going to defeat the German national team? I mean, you're going up against a monster, a beast in the Germans you want to see how are these guys, you know, from different countries and whatever, are they going to band together? And are they going to do this for country, for themselves? Uh, why do this? And then how do they forge a bond and then play the game against, you know, going up against it's David versus Goliath is what it is, right? That's what this story is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't get that. We don't really get a sense of that. We get it in moments, but they're fleeting, just as you had mentioned. And that's one of the, that's why that scene is kind of great is where you see a little camaraderie, a little laughter. Michael Caine is drawing up a play, a strategy. And, but that's, it, it begins and ends there. Yeah. Another scene I wish they kind of put in because that, that was tough when Michael Caine asked for those other four, four or five players and they're from Poland and, you know, Von Steiner's like, you know, we don't recognize them as people. And they bring them anyway because they're and they're working in the hard labor camps, and you see them, and they're just decimated. I mean, they're they're lucky they can they can stand. Interestingly enough, that's the next scene I was going to bring up. Then uh, go go. Okay, uh, this is not one of my favorite scenes, but watching this now, and this relates to a point I was making earlier about as a child watching this film, having no understanding or uh, grasp of what war meant or what it means and the the amount of life that is lost and the cost of war you know just the depth of of all of it but now having a little bit better understanding of it uh and watching this and understanding the history of it and during this particular time period what certain POWs in this case POWs had to suffer in the labor camps and then seeing this particular scene when this happens in the film after uh, John Colby, Michael Caine's character, has been putting together this team 
and he specifically requests Eastern European players that are Polish and Czech uh, because they're some of the most talented soccer players in Europe. And unfortunately, they have been working in the labor camps. That's where they ended up because, like you said, in this, you know, in World War II, they were not regarded by the Germans as people. And Michael Caine gets them. And when they arrive at this particular POW camp to join the team, to join Michael Caine and his men, they're, like you said, they're just a shell. They're literally wearing rags. They're covered in dirt and they're emaciated and it's horrific. And that particular scene, when they show up and they get off the truck, that impacted me in a way I was not expecting watching this film. That was a heavy moment. Yeah. And even when they are in their new barracks yep. and they're just them, even just they're trying, trying to eat. just trying to eat, you're just like, Oh my God, my heart fell. Cause that was probably the closest that really touched on what Germany was all about and what they were going through, how they were just massacring people and treating people like yeah. this. And this is the only, I think moment that really just touched it in the whole film. It's very impactful. And I, I just wish there was a little more. I, I was kind of hoping there would almost be a scene where like one of those guys showed like a spark of still being able to play the game and maybe right. not that they played in the game itself or just when they were out practicing, just like do some kind of like just kick it or something just to show that they, they were able to see light instead of. I wanted to see them regain their strength a little bit. Exactly. I wanted to see them get better. You They were so decimated within and without, you know, it just, it's upsetting to see. And it was extremely impactful. But I then immediately was rooting for them. I wanted, they, it was like, okay, you're in a better place now with these guys that want to help you and let's get some food in you. And hopefully, you know, over the course of the film and over time, you would hope they would get better and put on some weight and uh, be able to move. And, and you just want all these good things for them. And uh, I don't think we quite see, they. you can see them in the background sometimes in the locker room or on the field, but uh, they're never really, the spotlight isn't really shown on them uh, throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. And just the fact that the team, you know, stepped up and like, no, they're, they're staying. We don't care if they can't play. We're, right. We'll protect them the best we can for as long as we can. Yeah. That was, that was pretty impactful too. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, did you have another scene uh, among your favorites? The introduction of uh, Pele itself. Cause yeah. like I said, yeah. not, it's not great. being, not being a big soccer fan. I honestly, I don't even know if I knew who he was at this point when I, when I saw the movie and when the balls kicked to him and just to see what he was able to do with the ball, I was just like, yeah. wow, that's just so amazing. And yeah, so just the introduction of his character, I, I just kind of loved and a nice little moment for me. It's, it's a small, it's sweet, but it was, it was just cool. It's to see his skills. And that drives me crazy during that final game because the fact that he sits out half of it and I'm like, oh, you got the best soccer player in the world and he's sitting in the locker room with the... I forgot he missed that much of the game. I forgot too. Yeah, I, I forgot too. I thought he scored. I for some reason my memory was telling me he scored all the goals, no. <laughs> yeah, or at least like three out of four. Yeah, I remember he had hurt his rib or something like that, and he would run around the field like holding himself like that. I do remember that, but I forgot he sat out so much of that game. I'm like, man, you have the have best been. soccer player in the world in your movie playing in a soccer game, and he sits out for half of it. Yeah, 
in what world does that make sense? No, that would not fly now, that's for sure. I only can think that dramatically it makes more sense that he comes back, obviously, from the injury and then excels and rises above, right? You know, I mean, that's the whole point. Right, exactly. From a a dramatic standpoint. It works. I'm, going, but, I'm still like, as a soccer fan, especially, I'm going, no, I want more Pelé. Like, I don't, I don't care about it. I just want to watch. I don't want to watch Michael Caine run any more on the pitch. Exactly. And just I want, point, point. Oh, and that, yeah. Fucking hilarious. Excuse my French. I think my, I'm a better soccer my, player. This is my French resistance right now. Michael Caine, stop fucking running. Just stop. Bill Ban, I didn't, I forgot or didn't realize until the game began that he was one of the players. I, I thought he was on just the manager. I thought I he was the captain, the manager. I didn't, you know, I guess as captain, you you would be one of the players. He does say he's the captain and the manager, but I just assumed he was playing. He was Michael Caine, the teacher, the mentor, the captain, the the uh, the manager. But then he's in uniform on the field. I'm like, no. This guy's not, he can't play. He can't. And no, no, he couldn't play. He yeah. couldn't. I think he was in his mid forties. <laughs> we were filming this. So right there. I'm like, uh, no, I could have played. The, the research that. too. That one of the funny, like fun facts, uh, trivia bits is one of the, uh, the actual soccer players, uh, which was what I was going to mention earlier. Yeah. Most of the cast being, uh, or the English players are actual soccer players. Uh, and all the soccer players had to learn how to act and all the actors had to learn how to play soccer. And one of them had mentioned that, yeah, Michael Caine was horrible at soccer <laughs> and he could barely, he could barely run 20 yards. And you can see that in the actual final, that game at the end, because uh, they, he, you don't, you never actually see him no. touch the ball. No. It's a stand in at even when it's supposed to be him, which you never really even see him. I was looking for his number. Like you never see him in pl- actually playing in the game. They cut to him running and yelling, at yelling at the hatch, people. and then yeah. point, point and yell. That's all he did. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. He was good oh, at that hilarious. though. I think he's a good point and yeller. Yeah, yeah. Stay on the line. Yep. All right. What do you got? What else do you have for favorite scene? All right. So in the movie, Sylvester Stallone's character Robert Hatch, they just call him Hatch for most of the film. Uh, makes a daring escape. And after he escapes, they have a roll call at the POW camp. And of course he's not there. So in place of Hatch, the other POWs put together a, a dummy on a stick, basically. I'm glad you brought this up. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> this is also, in this, I'm going to have this in the Swiss cheese segment, but it's great. It's amusing. It's entertaining. But this in this particular scene in particular, because it looks like a paper mache head, which is has uh, been dressed with the appropriate clothing to make it look makes it look like he's a POW. And anyway, it's poorly constructed. And during one of the roll calls, the head of the dummy falls off. <laughs> and the German soldier sees it and they go walk over and all of the POWs that are gathered there for roll call start breaking up. They start cracking up in laughter. It's a great scene. It's a lot of fun. All right. Let's just get into it right now because it's a lot about it. I think they could have got away with that maybe one time at the night roll call because it's dark out. You're doing this routine every day. You put him in the back. He's got the hat on. I think they would have got away with it the one time after that. 
And the German guard's not really looking in the eyes of everybody. He's just counting bodies, maybe looking at uniforms. He's not really looking in the eyes and making sure they're right. human beings. But by morning roll call, no, that that thing did not look lifelike enough. Not even close. No more than one. I was like, one time, I'll give him one time. A 50% chance they would have got through it the first time. But after that, no way. In retrospect, it does kind of make sense that, that you know, I'm glad that they had the scene mm-hmm. with it falling apart, with the head actually falling off. Because then you're like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing's not. And I, I thought it was funny, too, even the way they were trying to walk back with it after they did that first roll call. Okay, everyone's still staying in the circle and shuffle, 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 shuffle. Right. And if you can hear, it's like a voiceover or whatever they dubbed in. There's a line you can hear one of the POWs say something like, oh, Hatch, you don't seem like yourself today. <laughs> something like that, to that effect. It's very funny. It's very subtle and soft, but you can hear it. Uh. It's a funny line. I am going to go for another scene that blew my skirt up. I have to go with Pelé's bicycle kick in the in the game, in the big game at the end. I look forward to it every time. It's a highlight. It is the highlight of the game. We see it in real time. We see it in slow motion. Is it Major Von? Is it Steiner? Is that his name? Von Steiner. Thank you. He stands up and cheers. It's a fantastic moment. I don't know if it really qualifies as a scene, but it's awesome. Pele doing his thing. Actually, the choreography, and by the way, Pele choreographed all the soccer plays for the game. So he himself organized that entire sequence for the for the film. And that particular shot, because you see it happen in real time. It's there's no special effects as far as I know. When they the winger crosses the ball into the center and Pele performs his bicycle kick, it goes over one of the German players <laughs> like jumps oh, way yeah. too soon. It's gonna be twenty like he, feet over his head still. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But outside of that. It looks fantastic. It's timed pretty well, even though it's choreographed. It looks great in real time and slow-mo. I could yeah, never get sick of him doing the bicycle kick. And it's funny because I was going to bring this up during Swiss Cheese. I actually had an issue with that scene. The kick itself is amazing, but the way they edit it, mm-hmm. I hated it because it shows the kick go in the goal. And then it does. it goes back to it and shows like half shots. I almost felt like it was out of order. I would have done okay. I, I the slow mo shot, yeah. And then do the close up of him going up, going up, and then go back out to the wide, and then show him finish the kick. Even right. go back a couple seconds, finish the kick, and watch it go in, and then do the shot of again of the close up of the goalie going in. I would have done it that way. If that I makes think, sense, I'm, I'm sure someone watching this like, oh yeah, Bill, I think you have the breakdown wrong, but. I think technically, though, though that is how it would have would be edited today. I think you pretty much exactly. nailed it. I think that's exactly how it would. And watching it this time, it's a great way to break it down from a technical point of view because I think that was what's interesting about watching this time. It's like, oh, they actually show the entire goal because this is the goal that ties the game. Correct. Right before the end of the game. So this is what ties the game at four goals apiece. It's a big moment. And they show the entire sequence and then show it in slow-mo instead of intercutting the actual real-time kick with the slow-motion versions and then with it finishing with the ball going into the net, so mm-hmm. to speak. Kind of like from beginning to end. Instead, you get the whole thing and then 
it goes backward back in time almost. Yeah. Because you've already seen the goal, but then it goes backwards and you watch it in slow motion. So it's a little, it feels disjointed because we're not used to watching it done that way or edited that way. There's another scene. We'll get into it later too. That did the same thing where I was like, Oh, I would go back and re-edit this because that kind of bothered me. We'll get to that later. Uh, you're, you're saying basically you could do better than John Houston. John Houston did not edit the film. So I'm I, not, I was, I'm not, I think I'm, that's what you're saying. No, no way. No way. He didn't, he didn't at that point he filmed it. And it was just like, <laughs> Here, where's my check? Oh, it cleared. Okay, see you guys later. I'll, I'll be at the premiere. Maybe. He's the director. He's not the editor. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure he never saw the final print until he saw it at, in, in the theater, to be honest. <laughs> Did you have any other? I mean, the, I've got one last scene. I'm, I'm wondering if we have the, the same. I think it's, the, it's, got a, it's the obvious one, I think. I don't know. All right. Well, well, maybe I, not. All right. So I'll do, I'll do my favorite scene and then um, just nod to that. It was the meeting between Stallone and Renee. That whole conversation. Okay. That yeah. that that was actually my favorite scene of the film. Really? Yes. Man, you and I do not see eye to eye on this film. Yeah, we're that's amazing. That's great. I love it. I love that. Yeah, I felt felt like he was like wooden, and that's like that did not play at all for me. I think it was. I think he has a. I think he has a good line in it in that scene. There's a good quote which I. I did not write down because I'm a failure, but yeah, it, it wasn't because of Stallone's acting chops in the scene at all. It was Renee and just the whole thing of her talking about, you know, this is the first time they haven't helped capture prisoner and right. what she goes through when this all happens, how stressful it is. And the fact that she remembers the ones that that's don't, a good moment. Don't that's a well-written for her, that's a yeah, that's well written. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't believe at all that the two of them had any kind of sparks or anything like that. Right. But I, I think and I just another underdeveloped aspect of the film that I was talking about before yeah. is like if that if they could have spent more time on that, maybe maybe they don't actually have a romantic relationship. I you know because there's just not enough time for that. But I didn't buy that they had a real connection, which they kind of allude to later on. Is that you just get a sense that they were hoping for more between Stallone and Renee. I think it just really made me think of all throughout history, the underground railroad, mm -hmm. um, even this, just what these people went through to sacrifice, to make sure that the right thing was done, putting their lives on the line to help others like this, knowing if they get caught, they're going to get killed. This happened all throughout history. And I think just what she said was just a great culmination of all of, all of that. Um, and that's, that really resonated with me. Just her speech really yeah. meant a lot. It, it and that's why it was my favorite perspective. Scene. It provides the perspective of someone who's always, you know, kind of maintaining a safe house. And she sees people come and go that have to, be, you know, are temporarily under her protection. And if they survive and go on, she's happy and she can let that go. But the fact that if she finds out that the person either didn't survive, was cut or shot, I believe she said, you know, uh, or harmed in some way it sticks with her forever and it's something she can never forget. Right. Like it's, she can remember the whole conversation. She had all that right. kind of stuff really, really stuck with her. So it, yeah, that it just really made me well from, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. is what I liked about the scene. Yeah. It wasn't a chemistry right. thing. It wasn't Stallone's acting at all. It was Good just Renee in the Good speech call. really did it for me. I agree with you. All right. So I know your favorite scene is different than mine. So go for it. The actual end of the movie, the very end of the movie, the finale with the crowd storming the field 
and the music is is going and they enable the players to escape they put the overcoats over the players and they get out they it's a it's, it's a feel good ending yeah i love it yeah i thought it was kind of cool too it's one of the all time feel good endings man i mean that for me like it's extremely memorable it sticks with me i love it i didn't expect it to end that way cuz you're like how are they going to get out and just the fact the storm the crowd everyone's screaming victory it is a, a really cool ending um i totally agree and the fact you literally see people taking off their coats and throwing it on these players to help get them out. Yeah. Yeah. You see uh, it's people like really coming together mm-hmm. to save one another. Uh, it's a, yeah. Again, one of the all time feel good endings. And just like you said, the fact that it was a feel good ending, cause it could have gone very differently. Oh, we yeah. may get into that with the, the potential remake. Anyway, we can move on unless uh, you had anything else with uh, favorite scenes. No, I think that uh, covered just about everything. I know we kind of touched on Bill Conte and had an argument about it. Do you want to argue some more about it or should we just move on? Well, I'm going to argue with you on the pronunciation of his name. It's, is it because I'm saying Bill Conte, you're saying Conte. I, I, it's I probably just, Conte. I think you're right. Because, you, you know, you know, I'm the one that always screws up the names. No. <laughs> I'm the one that always screws up the names. You would think I'm just trying to pick fights with you now, Bill. Yeah. This is what's happening. But Bill does do the music for the Academy Award ceremony. So I just thought for a second that. you were talking about yourself in the third person. No. You realize that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Bill does screw up the names often. All right. So Bill now is going to introduce the next segment <laughs> on the podcast. All right. Go for All it. Right. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Let's move on to the Swiss cheese. And why do we call this Swiss cheese? We call it the Swiss cheese segment because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. What's your uh, first Swiss cheese moment for us? I don't have... Okay, so again, I'm just going to reiterate that these aren't necessarily holes. These are issues I have. Some of them are holes. Some of them are issues. This is an issue. Sylvester Stallone, AKA Robert Hatch, AKA Hatch, which is just a great name for an American character. Oh yes. Hero. I agree. Just call him Hatch. Uh, it's, it's perfect. Right. And his whole escape plan was initially to escape through the, the shower known as the wash in this POW camp. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea was he'd come up with this concept because there was two guards patrolling the the wash, the shower, and then they would get distracted because they would uh, bump some smokes and easily distracted. Then he would have time to escape through uh, the roof of the shower facility. But then something changes 
And uh, the colonel, who is kind of the boss here at the POW camp, for lack of a better word, says, you know what? We don't want you to go with the soccer team to go play the Germans. We want you to actually escape. We want you to follow through with your original plan. And then you're going to contact the French resistance and let and let them know that we want this team to escape, et cetera. So, but in the meantime, things have changed. His plan was ruined because of the fact that they they doubled the guard around the wa- the the shower uh, because they're watching the Allied soccer team. So his plan was screwed, and that's why he had to join the soccer team to so that when he would go with the soccer team to the stadium, he'd be able to escape. But now they're telling him. Anyway, things got a little misconstrued for me. I got confused as to I thought his escape plan was a no go, and then they tell him no, it is a go even though there were more guards around the shower. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I was even going to take that a step further than that was the actual escape itself. Mm -hmm. I bought it escaping through the shower. Right. Getting through the roof. Okay. Once he got to the car, (laughs) there's no no way, no way, no way he's making that out. No. First of all, when he jumps onto the car, I'm sorry. It would have sounded like a bull hit the side of your car. I was I was thinking the whole car was going to like dip on the right side. Like it was just going to go like onto the like because Sylvester Stone may not be the largest human being, but still he weighs what 180 pounds. Yeah. He jumps onto the vehicle. You're going to you probably feel it. Exactly. In, in mid stride, you know, or you know, it's driving. It's so funny because I had that later on down my list. Because at first I thought it was like, oh, he's going to crawl under the car and hang under underneath. Right. Yeah. That's how I thought he was going to get out. And then the fact Absolutely. you see the car going and he's running at it full speed and then dives at it. I'm like, um, no. Right. One heard dives that. at it. He's hanging off the side of it. And this is where I go, hmm, the security here isn't very good because he gets to the guard, the gate. And the guard that opens the gate isn't looking at all. They don't look around it, under it, whatever it is. Like it would be normal protocol, you would think. Exactly. The only movie we've ever seen with a security guard where he does not walk around the car. Only. Only movie. And so my theory is that Major Von Steiner and those two guards are shot at the end of this movie. Exactly. All three of them. Are there you go. Back yep. add, the, add them too. Yeah. You put those two in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, my, I was convoluted with my first thought because I thought the whole idea was Stallone had an escape plan. It's It got screwed, and that's why he was going to join the soccer team so it could escape with the soccer team. But then the Colonel Waldron says to him, we want you to escape the original way when his plan got screwed. So how could he do it the original way? Anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to th- – if I kind of remember correctly – was they added two extra guards because the two guards were supposed to watch the soccer team. So right. Stallone realized he had to join the soccer team in order to get the act. I think maybe because they had a separate access now to that wash. So he had oh, to join right. the team yeah, yeah. in order it to get does, into that wash. It actually does kind of make sense. It just got get a out. little convoluted for me. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a little confusing. So now Daniel Massey, he's the actor that plays Colonel Waldron. 
I'm giving him Academy Award for overacting in this film. I just, man, that actual scene when the uh, Sloan's dummy, that uh, stand-in dummy for roll call, the head falls off, the camera kind of does a rack focus or pans from the, the guys at the roll call, the POWs, to Colonel Waldron doing this thing where he's just shaking his head and putting his hand on his face. He's overacting throughout this film. He's almost, he's borderline goofy. <laughs> There's reactions of him, reaction shots of him during the final game that are just ridiculous. I don't know what he was doing. And this guy actually goes on to be a nominated for an Academy Award later on in his career. Like he's a famous, he's a pretty well-known, I think, British actor. Everybody's got that one. Everybody's got that one. They can look back and, oh, why? Yeah, why he just, can... he would, every time he'd say something or do something in this movie, it would take me out of it. Yeah. That's all. Gotcha. What else you got? So I mentioned this earlier about the editing of, uh, Pelé's bicycle kick. And there was another part of the movie that I wish they had re-edited. Okay. And it was the tryout scene when Stallone is trying to get on the team the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just see how bad he is at soccer. Right, yeah. And what they do is they show a couple of plays of him just playing normal soccer. And then they do that other scene of him tackling someone. Like all of a sudden he forgot how to play soccer and started playing American football. And I was kind of like, I'd probably be able to put that scene first mm-hmm. to show that he didn't know how to play. And then Kane yells at him and then he's trying to actually try out, but it's like you're devolving as a soccer player. As the scene plays out, it felt weird to me. I didn't like it. I was just like, you need to take that yeah. scene and it's back it up about five scenes and put it in there. The show he's trying out has no clue how to play soccer because he's playing as football and then just keep showing him trying to play, but he's not good enough. And he keeps trying to get on the team, like introduce himself. And then Colby would eventually say, no, you're not part of the team. I would have done it that way, not the way they did it. It didn't make sense. It's like, why do you think all of a sudden yeah. tackling someone is going to make you part of it's the team? It's a bit jarring when it happens. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's no continuity. No. You know, it doesn't flow. But I just want to make sure, Bill Bent, that you, you in this uh, sequence have an issue with the editing, not the direction. Not at all. Love you're the direction. You're not saying that you could do better than John Houston. That's not, not at all. Saying. Not at all. Not, okay. I could I do better. You, I thought I heard you actually say you would have now, done. It'll suck if I find out the guy who edited this movie was the same guy who edited <laughs> all of John Houston's other films. Then, you know, then I feel like an idiot, but no, I think I would edit the scene better than the guy who did. <laughs> I think but, if John Houston actually watched the, watched the. Right. The if print, he ever actually watched He would have changed. Yeah. He would have changed it instead of going. Going off wherever. Uh, that's great. I have a question. Go ahead. After Stallone escapes, he makes it to the French resistance. He makes contact. He talks to Rene. He talks to the to the French resistance members. And then they say, we've got a plan. We're going to use the sewer system under the stadium uh, to access the locker room. And that's how we'll get you out. But guess what? The soccer team... And Kobe, their manager, they're not going to know how to get out. So we've got to get word back to them. We're going to send you back to the POW camp. What do you think of that idea, Hatch? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Which is the reaction I would have had as well. So my question to you is, was there no other way to get word back to Kobe and his team in the POW camp other than sending Hatch back in? Yeah, you thought maybe they could send maybe someone else as a prisoner. 
Or do the old attach the little note on a dove or something or something by mail carrier pigeon? Or something. I don't know what it is. Like send a secret message, something I don't know. Send somebody with the, uh, they have there's the radio. gotta be it. Right. I, I don't know. I just was like, that's pretty awful. That actually goes into my next Swiss cheese moment because what we're finding out is hatch can easily be talked into a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Things do happen rather easily in this film. That's what I'm talking about. There's not a lot of thorough development in no. this movie. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, go ahead, man. This is my biggest Swiss cheese of the movie. It's halftime. They've done the the hole in the tub. And I wish they had a shot of the resistance in the tunnel with all the water coming again. Oh, I would have I loved, loved I have to have that, seen that. Oh, I, I would have loved to have seen that, that shot. Because I put that on. Lower down my list, I have, what do I have here? Maybe wait for the water to drain completely. I don't think you have to walk up the ladder. As the water is flowing down through the hole, like a waterfall in your face. Does that make any sense? Yeah. But, okay. So, hey, so, it looks good. I yeah, guess it's so dramatic. All, you it's know what? They're all clean now. They've been digging in that dirty tunnel. They got a nice little rinse off. So See, the, you know what I'm I'm saying? I could do this better than John Houston myself right now is what I'm saying. I gotta I'm I'm such a hypocrite. I <laughs> I would have directed that scene differently. I'm just saying. So so now the team half the team is down the hole. They are going to escape. And one of the players goes, We should go back. We can win this. I'm like, you're down four <laughs> one with a guy who has played goalie for all of three hours. I need a little bit more convincing that you can turn around and go back and play the rest of that game. And I was expecting this. like a big moment, yeah, like a big yeah. speech or something. It's like, we can win this. Yeah, we can win this. Okay, let's and go you, back. Yeah. I'm like, no, no. Run. Stallone is convinced way too easily. There is no big speech from their captain. Oh, my captain uh, manager, Michael Kane. He's just like, what? What? You said we could win? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. Can win. We can win. Let's go back. Let's do it for our for our country. Or somebody finally says that or something to that effect. And it's like, well, wait, what? What? No, you're you've got one foot out the door. You're yeah. escaping. <laughs> exactly. The you're win losing. was the fact you you're scored a goal. The win you're was the fact you scored die. a goal. Like, what are you what are you doing? What, no, that doesn't make any sense of the and this is the moment that is supremely underdeveloped. Like, like if, if they had developed, built up like all of it to this point, like, like you just said, where it's like they were on the fence about it the whole time. They didn't want to escape or uh, it wasn't about that. It was about pride, right? National pride or showing the Germans that they could win. There's a, a message to be sent here, right? And a, a theme that could have been developed here about, what it means to win this game for for all of the downtrodden POWs and the people that have been uh, subjugated by the Germans in this war, right? I mean, that just there's a bigger thing at play here that wasn't utilized in the film, that wasn't developed in this movie. Exactly. And in this this would have been that moment. But it just just doesn't make any sense at all because none of that was built up to this. They, all of a sudden, it's like this going to be this huge scene. They're like, no, I know it. We can win. Yeah, we, we, 
like, what makes you think you can win? What made you think? Because you scored a goal, like one goal? If it was tied or they were down a goal, I still don't believe it. They would do that. But at least I would buy it a little bit more. But you're down three goals. And your manager slash captain. With 10 guys. You're only playing 10 guys. Oh, which is another great decision by your manager to go short before that. They didn't have to, by the way. And he even the announcer goes, oh, he makes a decision to play a man short. Yeah, I'm going, yeah, that guy's, he's an idiot. And then they get down there. But it is absolutely laugh out loud. It's a laughable moment when they're down underneath in the tunnel. That's another issue I have. It's like, how did how much tunnel did they dig out? Did the French res- resistance dig out in that first half to get? Oh, yeah. I thought that too. Perfect time. I was That's like, a pretty, shouldn't, pretty, shouldn't they have been working on that a couple of days? That was a long tunnel. Like those guys are pretty damn efficient. Yeah. Um, like what, six of them? Out a lot of tunnel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but to be under there and then be like, no, we can win. And Michael Kane just turning and going, wait, what did you say? We can win? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, this is it. This is the turn. This is the whole turn right here. This is how it happens. I don't remember it happening this quickly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what happens. Yeah, so that's my biggest mistake. It's It is laughable, but they need it to happen that way for dramatic effect, right? Otherwise, you don't have the second half of the game, and you don't have the best finale. Ever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've watched a little bit of soccer. I wish I watched more soccer now than I do. But being down for nothing or for nil, as they say, yes, that's a tremendous deficit in a soccer game or a football game. Exactly. And to come back from that, I mean, and then they actually score a goal before half uh, shorthanded. That's huge. Like that, that's going with a little suspension of disbelief here to come back from that in the second half. Like they're all charged up after almost, you know, seeing literally the light at the end of the tunnel. That was right there. And then you go, no, we're, we're now we're just filled with so much spirit. Right. You get no yeah. calls throughout the game because yeah. the refs are in on this. You're not scoring three goals. I mean, they did, but you're not. Let's move on to our, hey, it's that actor. Hey. All right. So in this segment, uh, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, um, an actor making their big screen debut or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Jason, who's your, hey, it's that actor. Hey, Bill, it's that actor. And my choice is, and I'm going to butcher the hell out of this guy's name. I know his first name's Maurice. His last name is Roy Rives. I'm going to go Ray, it's spelled R-O-E-V-E-S. This actor passed away in 2020, but he, and I I know that he is no longer with us. I can confirm that. He just worked his ass off his entire life. I mean, this guy, anyway, he portrayed the role of the, he was one of the English guys in charge at the POW camp. I think Pyrie was his, the, if I'm saying that right, uh, very small, but I instantly, I recognize him. I'm like, oh, it's that guy. It's that actor. Who, who is, what do I know him from? And then I look at his IMDB and I knew I recognized him because he portrayed Colonel Edmund Monroe. In Last of the Mohicans, one of my Michael Mann favorites. He's great in that film. He's been in a million things ever since. He was in another Stallone vehicle called Judge Dredd, a wonderful film. Uh, He was literally in everything but Miami Vice for some reason, which is (laughs) just a damn shame. But most importantly, he was featured in 13 episodes 
of Days of Our Lives from 85 to 89. Maurice Rayo Rose, Raves, Rose, Rave. Rest in peace, Maurice. Thank you. That's my Hey, It's That Actor. Okay. Um, so my Hey, It's That Actor was Anton Differing, who played the announcer of the soccer match. Okay. Yeah. And um, this is not the only time he played a Nazi in movies. He was in notable roles in Where Eagles Dare, The Blue Max, Counterpoint, and Operation Daybreak. He was actually born in Germany, but had to flee during World War II because his father was Jewish. And then the fact that he had to flee the country, and then he got caught up in playing all these Nazi roles, kind of ironic. How about that? Yeah. How would you like to be typecast as a Nazi? Exactly. A country that you fled because you were going to, you know, you and your family were going to be persecuted. That's and then horrible. you go back. Yeah. He had a very good voice and yeah, definitely uh, cast perfectly as the announcer of this film. So, yeah, he was my, hey, it's that actor, Anton Differing. Good one. All right. And then, uh, all right, so moving on, uh, facts and trivia. Do we have anything left? Because I know we've been throwing this throughout the whole podcast. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot here. I'm going to uh, run through mine real quick. Uh, I mentioned the soccer plays were designed by Pele. Pele. I wanted to mention uh, one of the writers on this film really quick, and I'll tell you why. One of the credited writers on this film, Bill Bant, mm-hmm. his name is Yabo Yablonski. Yes. Which I've officially decided will be my pseudonym from here on in as a writer. <laughs> gotcha. I'm going with Yabo Yablonski. There you go. Sounds good. I think you and I can agree. Maybe Stallone was a little bit miscast in this film. Yeah, he sticks out like a sore thumb. Right. But I, I found an interesting story of how he actually got this role. So okay. Stallone was looking for a home in Malibu, uh, something on the beach. And he actually looked at the home of the producer, Freddie Fields, who's the producer on Victory. Stallone didn't want the house because he thought it was too small for him and stuff like that. Uh, but they got to talking and Freddie Fields was talking about he was working on this new movie called Victory and gave Stallone the script and Stallone read it and decided to do the movie. So it was all happened by chance. It wasn't, you know. Which is really interesting because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Bill Bant, but Sylvester Stallone from after Rocky was either up for or had auditioned for every leading man role in every film until 2020 I don't exactly know yeah. yes and that's true because it's on the internet so okay. uh yeah just wanted to to make that clear yes if you go on imdb it'll be in the top five facts yeah, yeah stallone for every role in every movie yes of all time until 2020 yeah but that's a great story i yeah. like that story yeah, yeah that's kind of crazy so it's stallone did lose um uh, 41 pounds for the role um because yeah. he still had his boxer physique going on and um, ended up breaking a finger and dislocating a shoulder in some of the soccer scenes because he insisted of not having a stand-in and he wanted to be in there for it and uh, he paid the price. That is correct. And in line with that, uh, my other fun fact here, or another fun fact is the fact that Stallone thought he was king shit after the Rocky movies and wanted to score the winning goal in this film. He thought because he was the, the big star of the movie that he should be scoring the winning goal at the end. And, but uh, he was finally convinced that the, it was ridiculous for the goalie to score the winning goal because goalies don't score goals. But funny enough, actually 
later on, he would be proved correct in the way that goalies, soccer goalies, can actually be pulled from the goal in a like nothing to lose scenario. The same thing you'll see in, like in hockey when they pull the goalie, but they put in another player. In this case, in soccer, the goalie stays on the field and is just one of the players and will move forward down the field into an offensive position and uh, can be a part of a set piece. And they can, you know, cross the ball. Score. And goalies have actually scored in soccer games, although it happens very rarely. Yeah, because that's a funny thing, too, because my memory, like I said, was pretty fuzzy uh, watching this. I thought the game did end in a shootout, and it was Stallone stopped the final goal for the shootout. I th- I, that was my memory as well. Yeah. I have distorted memories of this film, Bill. I, it's funny. I thought they got on a bus at the end. I thought there was a full-on like uh, shootout. Usually in, in soccer, when it goes into penalty kicks, they each team gets five shots and, right you know and, and i actually uh, knew right and so i thought he manages to save the final one and it ends like they just call it as a tie at the end yeah which and definitely they, wouldn't have worked as well us trying to sit through watching yeah no, shots no. but but for some reason yeah i thought it was a shoot i thought it was it went into penalty kicks i didn't know it was just a penalty shot at the end mm-hmm and that German player, by the way, who takes two shots in that game, two penalty kicks, uh, was an actual soccer player as well. Oh, yeah. And I love how uh, Stallone psyched him out with the stare down. I yeah. Think, they, I think they they that's had their what did own individual one on one battle within yes. the battle. Exactly. That was amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was sweaty. It was mm-hmm. intense. Also, uh, the original screenplay was based on a true story, a little bit more dramatic, a little more serious, where the scenario was that if the POWs, the the Allied team, if they agreed to let the Germans win, uh, they would be allowed. They would be freed. They would go free. And should the Allied team win, uh, they would be executed. And in the original screenplay, the Allied team says "fuck it" and they win and they're executed. Yeah, that would have been a downer. Mm, yeah, it's also uh, said that. This film is loosely based on a, another true story, I think, dealing with uh, these soccer players in Kiev that ended up bonding. Like they worked in a bakery together and then they went up against some a German team. It wasn't like the national team, but that ended in tragedy as well. Another dark ending. Anyway, yeah. so there are some fun facts. Um, I wanted to just spend a moment on uh, Pelé real quick. Okay. Just to frame it a little bit here for those that aren't familiar with Pelé, Pelé, probably, if not the most famous soccer player outside of Maradona, maybe in the world, Pelé's real name is Edson Arantes do Nascimento. Anyway, uh, Pelé began playing for Santos at age 15 and then the Brazilian national team at 16. During his international career, he won three FIFA World Cups in 1958, 1962, and 1970. The only player to do so. Pelé is also the all-time leading goal scorer for Brazil with 77 goals in 92 games. Uh, at the club level, he is Santos's all-time top goal scorer with 643 goals from 659 games. He is credited with connecting the phrase, the beautiful game with football, a.k.a. soccer. In 1999, Pelé was named Athlete of the Century 
by the International Olympic Committee and was included in the Time list, uh, Time magazine list of the 100 most important people of the 20th century. So uh, his total of 1,279 goals in 1,363 games, which included friendlies, is a Guinness World Record. That's Pelé for you. Just to give you a little perspective on who Pelé was. Recently released a documentary on him. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check that out now, too. Yeah, Um, I had mentioned briefly uh, Maradona. If you haven't seen that documentary that came out a year or two ago, uh, that's excellent as well. All right. Um, any other facts or trivia we would bring? That's to all I got. Okay. Uh, and also, the, there is an alternate title to this film. It is uh, also known oh, as okay. Escape yeah. to Victory. Yeah. Depending on, I guess, what territory you live in. And I think some of the DVDs or VHS. On YouTube, that's what I, that was the title. That, that was I, it? I, yeah, the version I watched. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the um, box office. So this movie opened July 31st, 1981. Fun fact, it was actually the day my uh, sister was born. So so now they'll for be ever tied together. So every time I look at my sister, I'll, I will now think of victory. So it grossed uh, 10.8 million domestically and 16.6 million internationally for a total of, do the math real quick, 27.4 million on an estimated budget of 10 million. Um, it debuted at number six. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there was a couple of blockbuster films that were still out in the theater at the time um, that it was behind. Um, maybe we've heard some of these movies. Empire Strikes Back. What? Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. Superman 2 and Stripes were all ahead awesome. of it when this movie. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got a stick button because I'm a Empire is my favorite film of all time. I'm pretty sure Empire came out in 80. I think. Empire Strikes Back was officially released in 1980, if I'm not mistaken. The the, the original trilogy is three years apart. It goes 77, 80, 83. Maybe it's a re-release? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. That would totally okay. make sense. All right. Yeah. So I guess the re-release of Empire Strikes Back. But yeah, that was that was number one. And then Rage of the Ark was number two when this movie came out still. so Those are some heavy hitters. Yeah, some heavy hitters. So, so it must have been a re-release. Right. Empire. There we go. Yeah. All right. Good call. Good call. All right, moving on. So for reviews, when growing up in the 80s, there was nothing more exciting than catching at the movies on PBS to hear the reviews from Siskel and Ebert. The review for the victory was actually split. Ebert gave it a thumbs down because there were too many cliches. And Siskel gave it a thumbs up, stating that cliches aside, he found the movie to be fun. Yeah. He, got, he, he, like us, got caught up at the, in the match at the end. Completely. Yeah. So one thumb up, one thumb down from Cisco Newman. So yeah, final thoughts. We're getting uh, here to the nitty gritty. Jason, go ahead. You know, one of the side characters I really enjoyed was the forger. I just want to give him a shout out. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, but I actually, again, kind of underdeveloped, you know, it kind of reminded me of this relationship in a, in a superhero film of recent times, that being Iron Man. Uh, the beginning of that film has Robert Downey Jr., Oh yeah, that's um, as good. A captive with uh, the scientist and the two of them kind of bond uh, in captivity as Tony Stark puts together the, the Iron Man suit with the help of the scientist. And that, you know, I liked that relationship in that film. And then this film in victory, I liked, I kind of thought that would have been kind of cool. Like I'd like, I actually enjoyed 
the back and forth that Hatch had with the forger in this film. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out to the, that actor who did go on to do a lot, lot more and is still working today, as a matter of fact. Uh, actor's name is uh, Clive Merrison. Thank and, you. Uh, another big 80s movie he was in was Firefox with Clint Eastwood. Uh, I don't know why we haven't done a podcast on Firefox yet, but there, she gets to it, it on the list. Push there we go. On the list. So also the forger, you know, that character, too, like he comes out with the camera, uh, which was great when he takes the... Uh, passport photo mm-hmm. of Stallone, which is really funny. Uh, I love the, t- the old tech there. Training montages. I was like, oh man, can't get enough of training montages. Never. The soccer team. And I was like, this is 81. I wonder who, where the training montage originated and how many Stallone training montages have there been culminating with the ult- in Rocky four when he's at the top of the mountain after he's been carrying logs and doing a trillion sit-ups or whatever it might be, but he's, he's working out in nature. He's one with nature and he's on the snowy mountain and just, you know, they're doing the scream. Oh, it's just great stuff. I consider that one Rocky, the musical, because I think yeah. that is a 90, <laughs> 95 minute music video. That's is basically that what that Carter, movie is. Who's doing the eighties music, like those, the greatest songs. Exactly. Those eighties films. And I love seeing a young Stallone in this film, you know, it just reminded, you know, how he was back then and full of spit in vinegar and how he's walking around with his hiked up pants, hiked up way too high. Uh, He has no torso. Apparently I enjoyed that a great deal. Watching Stallone celebrate any kind of victory, like a little kid just makes me happy. Makes me giddy. When he does this fist pumping thing where he's jumping around and spinning in circles like a, yeah. a maniac, like a child, like a small child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does it a bit in, in the Rocky films, too, I think, when he's just like when he wins. I can't get it. It's it's great stuff. Uh, it's It feels kind of authentic. It's a little silly, but it feels authentic. He's he's in the moment. I'll give him that much. Here's my last final thought that's redundant. They need to do more end credits with shots like action shots from the actors. If you know what I mean, when oh, yeah. they show the credits when they show like the actor's name, at the bottom of the screen, and then you actually see the actor doing some sort of action Yes, or just maybe just the actor posing. For instance, one of my other favorite end title sequences is predator. They do that at the end. Yes. I love that shit. Another great eighties movie that we'll get around to doing, but I love that. I just, I don't know. I'm a sucker for that. They used to do that in the olden days. Those cover my final thoughts, man. All right. Yeah. My final thoughts were, we need more soccer movies. I I just think we need more soccer movies. Good call. Yeah. You know, watching this again, like I said, I probably have not watched this in 30 years. It's not a great film by any means, but the ending soccer scene is fun. You, You do get caught up in it, but I don't understand why we don't have more soccer film i think it would be perfect because like you said i'm not a big soccer fan but when i go to games like i mentioned in the beginning you just get caught up in it there's just something about that's really fun it's definitely a crowd sport um it's something you need i think this and hockey you need to be there live more than television doesn't do it justice it's a great call i've only seen two soccer games in my lifetime I saw an LA Galaxy game. Uh, it was the opening game of their season a few years back. It was great. The energy was great in the stadium. And then also, I actually did get to see a Chicago Sting game in Wrigley Field, at Wrigley Field. 
And funny enough, I actually played in a soccer game on Wrigley Field just before their game. Oh, part of cool. that tra- yeah, I was part of that traveling team I had mentioned uh, from Lindenhurst with my buddies. And uh, we played against another all-star team on Wrigley Field. It was sweet right before the Chicago uh, Sting game. So that's my little brag there. <laughs> that's okay. So recommendation-wise, ah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on it. But I think it is cool to see an early Stallone film. Check it out. If you're into soccer, I would definitely say go see the film. Uh, if you're not a big soccer fan, yeah, this this might be a pass. Yeah, this film really culminates with the final game. I mean, that's really what it's all about. It's about that game and what happens at the end. The finale is fantastic. It's a feel-good ending. All that stuff. The rest of it, eh, it's okay. Is it dramatic? Eh, somewhat. It's a little bit flat for me. It's... For a two-hour film, it's almost two hours. It feels a little... It's funny that it's that long and still feels underdeveloped for me. Yeah, that's a good point. The relationships could have been developed, the camaraderie between teammates, the David and Goliath theme with the backdrop of World War II, the relationship between uh, John Kobe and Major Von Steiner could have been developed further. I thought upon rewatch that was actually going to happen because they have a great meeting in the beginning of this film, but that never comes to fruition. This movie kind of moves in a straight line dramatically for me. It just kind of has one level until the end. And that's where it all happens. And then it just doesn't feel completely full uh, at the end because of the lack of development, but it's still exciting. I personally like the music and funny enough, when you get, when the crowd really starts backing the allied team, uh, then I got even more excited. And I, I wanted to mention this too, is I have a friend who uh, is from Blackburn, England, and he's been to a million different soccer games and tells me how what the experience is like. I've never experienced it, but uh, I would like to experience that authentic football you know, game in an actual full stadium uh, with thousands upon, you know, like 100,000 fans. Uh, it's supposed to be unlike any other professional sports experience. So uh, yeah, I would still recommend the film because it is fun. I do. I agree with Siskel on this one. I still think it's fun. doesn't get too heavy, but it's not great. It's good. It's good. It's worth it for the end. Now that you brought up the underdeveloped thing for a two hour movie, now the, the writer all of a sudden kicked in to think about like, all right, what would I fix real quick? I think I would right. take out the Stallone escape. Yep. Yep. Because, because totally you know, that was completely unnecessary. He has to go back. And, yeah. 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 Because they have that access to that radio. So they should be getting all their information through the radio and relaying it to the team and then show maybe, maybe Stallone has something to do with it. So he has to be on the team and it's really showing him how to play soccer and how these I, team is, is teaching him how to play soccer, how to be this goalie to just be presentable for the game. That might've worked better. From a story I mean, I'm just telling I'm, a, Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm just spitballing that off real quick. I mean, you could have, yeah. I mean, you're saying you could have done it better than John Houston. No, I, I get no, it. no, I'm I could have done better. I could have done better than the writer. I could have done better than the editor. <laughs> I'm not doing better than director. I'm sorry. I know my place. Uh, I, I know my place. I, I totally agree. I think that's a good call. I had thought about the same thing. It's like, you just, that's not necessary. I would have, yeah, spend more time on educating us on the game itself and 
let's get to know the players. Let's really get to know some of the players, what they're dealing with, what life is like for them and what the sport means to them. And then what it means on the larger scale. Yeah. And how does that sport actually gets them through being a fact that there are prisoners in the camp and not knowing right. what's going to be happening the next day, the next week. The, the there was just, yeah, those are so many themes that were right there. You're that are right at your feet to be explored and delved into, and they were just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. But yet the, the movie's still an hour and 56 minutes long. There we go. I have to admit, though, it did it did uh, go by rather quickly for me. It didn't feel like it dragged. No, not at all. I, I was surprised when it was over and I, I looked at the time. I'm like, oh, my God, it's it's after midnight. Yeah. And let me write up my notes real quick and get to bed. But, yeah, it doesn't because the match is almost like 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. Long. Yeah. And you really you really get into that. So it the payoff at the end is good. It's It's getting to it and you're just seeing all the missed opportunities throughout the film they're just kind of like, oh man yeah the match itself is well choreographed by pele and and also well filmed i think directed excellently <laughs> hey you mind if we round this out with i got with uh some some deep questions for you though. yeah favorite not favorite michael kane movie but michael kane has played the mentor so many times i'm just going to throw out a few different films where he plays the role of mentor slash teacher. There's Nolan's Batman trilogy, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Okay, I popped in my head first. Go ahead. Of course. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. (laughs) That was going to be my pick. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that was going to be, but keep going. See if there's something else that maybe would. uh... Jaws 4, The Revenge. that's, that's That's up there. That's up there. I can't wait till we do that podcast. And last but not least, acting in film by Michael Kay. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, well, that, that one's for all you actors out there. If you don't know it, you will. You'll come across it. It's inevitable. Michael Kane's acting in film. Anyway, uh, do, you have, do you have a pick? And please, please throw out a, a, a million. There's He's been in so many. Different no, it, it's funny, though, because the... the f- First thing I, I thought of right away was actually Batman. I was like, uh, he's kind of the butler and it's kind of his role. So I didn't think of, of it. And then the next movie that popped in my head before you said it was Dirty Rotten Scandals. So oh, that's kind of hilarious. Love that you said him it. in that movie. Yes. Steve Martin's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my, yeah. Actually, as an actor, there's this brief scene in that film that I absolutely adore. But I, I'll save that for another time. Did you learn any German or French while watching this film? If so, what what did you learn? Uh, that Stallone would not pass as a French person. That's that much I know. Merci. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yo, merci. Hey, uh, play. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I the one thing I, he did say it was a note when he was asking for another shot of vodka or whatever he was drinking. I was like, oh, that must mean another in mm-hmm. French. So that's what I learned. Should there be a remake? Or did we already answer that by saying there needs to be a better soccer movie? Yeah, it needs to be a better soccer movie. I agree with you. However, Uh-oh. in March 2019, it was announced that Jaume Colesera will direct a remake also titled Victory. Well, big surprise. Now, will that ever happen? 
Well, hopefully they listen to this podcast so they get some pointers on some of the editing and writing. They should. That's what I got, Bill. That's all I got. All right. I'm spent. Okay, so um, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast.gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1986 bloody cop comedy Running Scared, starring Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. (laughs) Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Night, world. Night, world.